0: Hello friends and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your Podkick and monologist. All of us here at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be. And we are happy that you are joining us. Here at CSM, our guide, senior Buddhist teacher, musician, and entrepreneur David Nicktern discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with our guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. We rotate guest episodes with many episodes of David and I in discussion, and this is one of those episodes with the two of us in conversation around working with desire from a Buddhist perspective. As you'll hear, these conversations arise out of spontaneous dialogue with David and I before each session. Broadly speaking, before this particular discussion, I had shared with David that due to my mindfulness awareness practice, at times I can stay with strong energies that arise in my experience without indulging, repressing, or ignoring them. So part of the premise here may be, once we've cut through habitual patterns and we're on the spot with all that energy, particularly desire and passion, then what? Also, in this episode, you will bear witness to the fact that I am not a morning person. This was the first AM podcast we recorded during this session, and you'll see my mind, body, and energy slowly coming around over the course of this episode, so thank you in advance for your patience and understanding. All right, that's enough table setting. Thank you for listening, and on to the main course. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome the creativity spirituality and making a buck on the be here now network with our guide and host david nickturn i am michael cammers david's podkick trusty podkick and in this episode the two of us will be in discussion on how buddhists address desire i don't know about you david I'm feeling a lot of excitement about this podcast.
1: <sighs> yeah. And as usual, friends, Michael and I leap into the <clears throat> open space dimension of communication. And we just started spontaneously speaking about this uh, before the podcast got underway. And, um, I just said, let's talk about that. So that's often how we do it, right, Mike? It's true. Just right in the moment.
0: First thought, best thought.
1: And you could argue that we just don't really know what we're doing. So therefore, we're grasping at straws, spontaneous straws, or that there is something in the flow and synchronicity of our ongoing conversation that is picking up threads from, you know, our ecosystem, our environment around us, people we've been talking to, So um, it started with you actually bringing up what was the question that you brought up?
0: Well, speaking of the sort of spontaneous wisdom of the moment, I have no recollection of the question. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I
1: I find, you know, as you know, Mike, and probably our friends out there know, I do a lot of teaching these days. And uh, that involves the Zoom. You know, not the usual cues of physical presence and, you know, of course, more of that has been happening lately too, where you're actually in physical contact with people and communicating. But in that Zoom space, when we're talking sometimes, and I have to, you know, uh, be taking the seat of the person who's receiving the questions and therefore generating something which could be taken as an answer, you know, theoretically, if if somebody thought it that way. Um, so I often find myself in the situation of I talk for a little while and then I go, well, what was the question again? (laughs) So the the question just kind of launches a, a, you know, a a zone and then then you're off and running into it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we're off to a great start.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then in the anecdotal realm, uh, since there's a lot of associative kind of process in what we're doing, uh, I I was taken back to a moment um, in which I met Carl Reiner, the the brilliant and famous and world renowned Carl Reiner, in a context uh, many years ago. And I and um, actually it was an event, and Mel Brooks was there too. So very briefly, I met Mel Brooks, but I was sort of talking to Carl Reiner and more and. Uh, Carl's daughter, who was a friend of mine, said, Dad, doesn't David look like grandma? Oh, no. He said, doesn't David look like he could be in our family? Because like our, our sort of cultural and, you know, DNA thing was. And, um, and then Carl Reiner said, yeah, he looks like he could be in our family. Actually, he looks like my mother.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then he gave me a big wet kiss on the cheek. Oh, yeah, it, it was beyond sweet. It was like you know, those guys are lifetime idols for me, uh, as for many people, and um, uh, have, have quoted them, have used their riffs ceaselessly, and um, they ended up sitting together, you know, in these chairs next to each other, having lunch, and just watching TV, um, for you know, many of the last several years. And I just thought, oh, could I be a fly on the wall? Please, let me reincarnate as a fly on the wall with with my present intelligence to be able to hear the rifts that must have been going on between the two of them at this stage of the game. <clears throat> so um many uh, best wishes to the Reiner uh, clan. And um, I actually did a, a film score for... um project that lucas the uh, who's his second son did so i feel a connection there but the long story short you want to talk about spontaneity um and um also this idea of we start with a question and here's what here's i am now going to weave us back carl said to me uh you know my wife is Jewish, you know, but she was, weren't concerned that she was, if she was Jewish enough for his family to meet his family. So that's a whole tribal thing that some people are going to relate to from their own tribe. Um, uh, and he said to be Jewish enough, all you have to do is answer a question with a question.
0: <laughs>
1: that's a, a cultural thing. Like, um, what you are you saying I should answer a question with a question? <laughs> There's a perfect <laughs> example. <laughs> so in terms of our conversation, you raised the question of desire. But you don't you don't recall the exact context, which is fine. But how about
0: the context? I don't remember the exact question.
1: Okay, what was the context?
0: Well, we were talking about um my own desire to like as an entertainer and somebody who wants to be seen and enjoys that kind of feedback with the environment and sort of also um, the desire to really merge with experience.
1: Yeah, in a sense, you were asking also, is it cool from a Buddhist perspective to have desire? Well, what do you do with it?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, um, clearly it seems like this is something that arises in the human experience. So how to work with it?
1: <laughs> Not only that, it is as you remember from the six realms. It is the exact texture of the human realm, which everybody, every Buddhist says that's where you want to be. Uh, that is the precious human birth situation. That is a Dharma, you know, bullseye to to have that kind of well, free and well favored uh, situation where you can have a life, have a human body, um, have relationships, everything that goes with it. It's it is a um. You know, passion or desire are the insignia, the watermark of that particular realm. And then because it's a realm, it's also not considered liberation that you could experience those things. It's how you work with them, isn't it?
0: Could you say that last part again?
1: It's not uh, inherently liberating to either repress desire or indulge it. It's how you work with it that's potentially liberating, which is the Buddhist approach. So, what are you liberating yourself from? Would be a really good <clears throat> question. When you have desire, what's the part of it that gets you stuck? That gets you in, that creates suffering, uh, that creates pain, harm for other people. Uh, you said a great thing actually in our in our earlier iteration, which was, "Can you re- repeat? You know what I'm talking about?"
0: <laughs> I'm the, I'm a great podcast today. I don't remember exactly.
1: <laughs> well, you said something about when you experience desire for another person. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's like you can, when you desire anything, you can lose any sight of well-being or even that's, that that's even a person. It just becomes an object of desire that like, you are um, grasping towards blindly even.
1: Right, and that gets into the realm of objectification of the object of the desire, which is something we haven't really spoken about. We're talking about the person who's experiencing it. Now, if there's an object and it's a cookie, you know, we're not here to, there's no cookie realm that I'm aware of in Buddhism. You know, we're not trying to protect uh, or the well-being of the cookie per se. You could say there's a chain of events there that you could track. But in in relation to another person, how does our desire uh, manifest? And is it creating uh, blindness on our part? You know, is it, is it, is it creating a lack of awareness? So as you know, Mike, the, the, the big um, source code for confusion and suffering in the Buddhist way of looking at it is ignorance. Um, that you, you're not, or more precisely, marigpa uh, uh, or avidya in Sanskrit, marigpa in Tibetan, a negation of awareness you lose awareness, then the whole six realms appears out of you know a, a kind of cascading effect of, of ongoing circumstances. So at that moment when you lose the awareness, of course you would lose track of that there even is another person with a separate consciousness. And then we're always stunned when they talk and say something completely different than what we expected.
0: <laughs> Aren't we? Yeah. I think part of, part of that ignorance is like, Uh, it's an environment. And Trungpa Rinpoche in um, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, when he talks about the realms, he uses the word environment, and he says that our thought and our emotions, like they kind of fuse and they become an environment. And then that realm is the environment that we're inhabiting that's a daydream. Yeah. To use your word. And when you're in that daydream not only is there that sense of desire and you're kind of blinded with the ma rigpa vidya then there's this whole discursivity in this story. And then when you bump up against reality and that other person says something that pops like, like wait, what is this? That's actually the uh, the universal guru or the mandala. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, that's reality. Pop in your bubble.
1: <laughs> yeah, pop in the bubble. Yeah, you know, I even... I wasn't sure if it was a different book than Awakening from the Daydream, um, but Bubble Theory. I had an idea for a book called Bubble Theory because it's another way of looking at it: is that we're in bubbles, and there's individual bubbles, there's group bubbles. Like Dharma Moon's a bubble of its own kind. Um, your your family is a bubble. Um, you know, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party are bubbles. You know, people tend to resonate, reproduce. Um, reiterate perspectives that make it bubble, bubbly. You know, like if somebody, um, I find, it, I watch a lot the um, on, on YouTube because I'm fascinated by the perspective of the left and the right in this country and this world for that matter. If you look at it, it's what's causing a lot of, it's, it, there's a lot of engine going on there about um, creating disharmony, disunity, uh, outright violence, you know, because people from one perspective or another are not literally not able to hear the other perspective or give it any credence. So I'd like to go both sides of it just to make sure I'm not missing anything. And, um, but you know, is there a way to have discourse or as you're saying, passionate communication, let's include that in there too, without annihilating the object of your, of your, um, which we can then passion becomes aggression, right? you you're actually sort of, and it can become ignorance, you're shutting down the very thing that you're trying to communicate with. You're disavowing it. Whether it's a a love interest or a a political opponent, you can't can't, um, create a a communication field. And in the communication field, you said earlier, compassion. So we should talk maybe more about what's the difference between compassion and passion since they both have the same word in it.
0: Well, to use that, Let's maybe we go from this. Sometimes you say like passion, aggression, and ignorance is like the, what is it? The red, blue, and green, the three colors from the yeah. old TVs. That
1: RGB, yeah.
0: yeah. RGB. And it's really good because they kind of all cloud together. And so I, in my understanding, the real root one is that the like Ma Rigpa or the Avidya is like this real fundamental bewilderment of our true nature right and then we we make this whole we create this whole edifice on top of Mm -hmm. that's like claustrophobic and singular or in a cocoon and then when we get into these bubbles we define ourselves by this bubble it becomes Mm -hmm. merged with our identity right? right so if if i'm a liberal democrat or if you're a republican or whatever that might be now we have like an in-group and an out-group based even on like mythic literalism of some sort, right? Like Mm -hmm. these bubbles have stories that we believe this is reality. And it becomes Mm. so solid that we lose the communicate to hear each other and to communicate compassionately. And I'm actually going to tie this into a piece of art that I saw by a recent uh, podcast guest, Robert Ryan. He... Mm. He posted uh, this amazing painting called Disinformation Tarot. And he likened our present experience to the Bible story of the Tower of Babel. with mm. can't communicate because of all these things, right? Yeah. So, well,
1: and that's called babbling. You know that comes from there, right? Did you know that?
0: It makes sense
1: yeah when somebody's babbling the, the the tell more about the story of Babel because it, there was it's it's the archetype and the the you know um root um, metaphor for loss of the ability to communicate. What happened in, in the tower of Babel
0: well it it seems like all these different let's say tribes or groups of humans had the ability to communicate together clearly, and then they wanted to build a tower all the way up to heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm. correct, and so in it's a Bible story, so the um the God in the Christian religion I was raised Roman Catholic um makes them lose the ability the ability to understand each other <laughs> so that they cannot reach heaven, and so mm. in a way, it's like hubris,
1: yeah, but what happens is that their language is splintered. Yeah, uh, And, you know, this is, uh, if you travel a lot, you can have this experience. You know, when I go to Japan and, you know, you realize I, I, I can't really understand what people are saying. And a lot of times I'm sitting at dinners there and, you know, my hosts are usually bilingual. So there's a bridge that I can use to walk across. But some of the time I don't walk across the bridge. I just allow myself to be in a borderline dissociative state. Because people are talking, but I cannot understand at all what they mean, what they're saying. So I end up looking at their faces and their gestures and the vibe and see if you can tune in that way. Um, but that is a, yeah, I mean, that's the, the myth of the Tower of Babel is that all of a sudden everybody's got different languages and they can't understand each other. Um, and, you know, I think it's a metaphor. You could say in any any intimate relationship has a Tower of Babel element to it. You moved into it, as you said, through desire, through sense of connection and wanting to connect further. And then uh, there's a lot of comedy about this. You just go, I don't understand what you're saying <laughs> to the person you live with. What are you talking about? You know. And so um, I think you had the key, Michael, that, that does the de- desire shut down the communication so you become just obsessed with your own uh, need for... Identity, identity, and that probably is from a Buddhist perspective um, uh, uh, something to be uh, vetted rather than just blindly going along with that, like desire for fame or for recognition. Or um, you'd almost um, say you want to modulate that and 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 back off from that approach a little bit to to not before until you became aware of the mechanism that it was setting into place for creating further suffering. The, the
0: non-self, you're saying, in regards to
1: that? Yeah, I mean, you, you, if it's building up, if the desire is building up a strong sense of self and identity and separation, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're aware of that or not, like is, you just said the great thing of like, you know, you, you desire this person, um, uh, but you're not even really aware of what their process is. For everybody who's ever fallen in love um, or trying to, and that's, if you're human, you're either in love, breaking up, or trying to fall in love. It's just. Isn't that true? I mean, I know there's some people out there going, "Oh no, no, no!" Uh, you know, let's talk sustaining love. Well, sure, people uh, are trying to create relationships at some level. There are a few hermits, but they're not really dealing with this question the same way that the rest of the the, the lay practitioner community is. Um, so, I, I don't, I don't have advice for the. Severe yogis and hermits, there, or, or monastics—that's a different code, a different set of advice. They, of course, have to deal with desire. For example, I know a bunch of um, fat Rinpoche's who have a sweet tooth and diabetes. Mm. And you go, well, wait a minute—you, you know—you have this kind of mastery of the situation. Are you just um, allowing yourself some humanity there? What is, go- what is going on there? And it's not. It's somehow never the idea that this person has reached achieved a state of perfect discipline in which they're completely repressed and don't have to deal with the rising of desire in their in their mind and, and body. So this is really a good this is really a good conversation. I don't know if it's a a one-shot deal or not. Um maybe that's a good intro to it for and maybe we can do desire part two and desire part three. So um, what do you think? Is that a good point to pause?
0: Well, yeah, and I think in a way we're to the point of like whether you're a monastic or a householder or a lay person desire is going to arise. And then as sentient beings if we're aware we have an ability to choose, right? So whether or not we so the big in the nadanas or in the in the Buddhist chain of karma there's a really as you've taught and i also hold the view i forget which number of the nidanas there are there's craving and mm. then there's grasping right so tune back in perhaps to, <laughs> to you, when maybe we'll discuss craving and grasping what do you think
1: yeah that's good that's a good jump point because and just to put a bow on it you could say the Buddha, uh, you know, whenever a Buddha attains that kind of level of complete realization, actually exits the human realm as a realm. Mm. And, and and so all of the Kalesha activities transformed into compassion. So the, you could say the desire and the compassion have become completely linked. Um, the desire is for... Uh, the liberation of all beings that's that you could say well I took a vow for that that's a you have a desire for to see that yeah and you could say yes because the desire and the compassion are no longer um, distinct and therefore if you are in love you'd be really um, really open-hearted to the well-being and um, success and joy of your of your partner or your companions um, but that's such a big field and it, 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 I don't think it would feel exactly like, you know, the conventional version of, of possessiveness and those kind of things. There would be some kind of transformation of that energy into a very open style of communication. And we have seen it. It's possible. Uh, and we're all at different stages of trying to explore that because the other thing doesn't work. I mean, that's the big argument. Samsara just doesn't really work. It, it just reproduces itself and it's... Um, um you know creating a kind of sense of dissatisfaction it's basic 101 so we'll to be continued ladies and gentlemen and other uh friends and um however you want to um be thought of uh we're interested in hearing from you you know always and if, if people can can uh, stay in touch and I think um again thanks to Michael for um really being the catalyst for this this whole communication. So thanks, Michael.
0: Thank you, David, for being in communication. I'm grateful for you and um, to be in this role. And I sincerely hope that our conversations are a benefit to our listeners and their practice and daily lives. So thank you, everyone. Tune back in. All right, everybody. Welcome to an improvised outro. One. We would like to thank you for listening and supporting this podcast, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck with David Nickton on the Be Here Now Network. If you enjoy these conversations with David and I, we encourage you to join the conversation and join us. There's a couple ways you could do that. One, you could email me at Michael at dharmamoon.com and uh, make a suggestion for what you'd like to hear David and I talking about. Two, if you are into this discussion and this practice, uh, we encourage you to join us in community. Head over to www.dharmamoon.com and check out all of our programming. On the third Sunday of each month, we have an open community sit at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Depending on when this podcast runs, it's likely that you could still sign up for our 100-hour mindfulness meditation teacher training program. Uh, in the fall. And if you don't want to take a full 100 hour teacher training, you can just take the first weekend, which is an amazing overview and transmission of mindfulness, awareness, contemplation, and loving kindness practices. It's a really great way to kickstart and help establish and deepen your meditation practice, which is what we are committed to here at Dharma Moon. Perhaps if we can access a little peace within ourselves we can live in a more peaceful world. Hmm. May it be so. That being said, we would also like to thank the Be Here Now Network and everybody who works there for everything, for continuing Ram Dass's legacy and for the post-production and distribution of this podcast. We really appreciate everybody over there. So a hearty thank you from us to you. Also, if you like. Be Here Now Network, if you like Ram Dass, head over to their website, www.beherenownetwork.com. You can put a slash David there to see more of these podcasts with David Nickturn. But there are many, many podcasts there with amazing teachers, Jack Kornfield, Sharon Salzberg. So yeah, get into it. Head over to Be Here Now, connect with them. And I think it might be the tail ending of their fundraising drive. It all depends on when this podcast gets out. And this is Evergreen, so we appreciate you listening and encourage you to support Be Here Now Network. Okay, I have said all the things. And if you're still listening, I hope you're doing well. I mean, you listened to a whole outro. It's pretty amazing. So um, may you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best.